Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card, going down to the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by a middleweight bout between Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland. We're talking about the prelim card right now with a featured woman's strawweight bout between Cheyenne Blismas and Corey McKenna. Man, I was rolling there for a second. Then it just all vanished. Why? Well, what, what, what do you mean? I, I was trying to, to say every time, for some reason, the term featured prelim, I think uh -huh. it's just too much of an oxymoron for me. Mm -hmm. Like my brain rebels at the thought. So when I, I try to say it, it gets to feature prelim with Cheyenne, you know. And I'm... I think the first rule of broadcasting is to, uh, when a small error is made, is to immediately pause and point it out. Yeah, no, that's what I thought, too. So that's why. Because I, <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> the granted, I don't really listen to what you're saying. So. Yeah. I, I, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, here I I, I've noticed your error, and I thought I'd comment on it. You know, you're not listening to anything. I wouldn't do that. No, no, uh, no need to be so defensive, saying. Yeah, jeez, come on. Uh, solid featured prelim, solid prelim card in general. Yeah, great, great prelim card for a fight night at the Apex. Usually, I guess it's the last card of the year too. Yeah, so they're, they're getting them in. You got to get your good fights in, and you've got some fighters, some good fighters who still wanted fights for the end of the year. So, you know, maybe they just made this one a little better than the other, mm -hmm. some of the other Apex cards. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I, uh, I don't think this feels like a particularly good fight for Corey McKenna. No. But I also don't really know how solid Velismus's takedown defense is. That's the one wrinkle here that I'm I'm questioning. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, unfortunately, one of the things Corey McKenna has to answer is how solid does somebody's takedown defense need to be? Well, Because right. certainly Elise Reed's takedown defense isn't great. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and, and there's also the fact that McKenna, you know, while I think it's probably... You know, her, her top game is really solid. Um, she can hit some solid takedowns. She also loves to get in there and box with people. She really does. And she, so either way, like, she is going to give Lismas several minutes of opportunities per round. Many of the takedowns that Corey McKenna has hit in her career are takedowns other people initiated. True. They are clinch exchanges or wrestling exchanges where somebody else decided to come to her like uh, oh, v Vanessa Demopoulos did on the Contender Series yeah, and then hit a little resistance and pulled guard or lost the scramble and ended up on the bottom. It's mm -hmm. where McKenna she really does like to box. It's not even necessarily she likes to kickbox. She likes to box. She likes to box. She's not bad at it. But she's not great at it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she's, she's, I've used this word already on the uh, main card section, serviceable. 
it's, it's not like she can't put a combination together. It's not like she no, doesn't use her lead hand. I mean, she, from a fundamental understanding of boxing perspective, from like you know, if you if you were putting together like a you know how to box training video, you could do worse than having Corey McKenna model the sure the strikes and the the combinations and all that. Yes, yeah. But she has a really bad case of pad holder syndrome, mm. where it really looks like she is throwing her punches to connect at a point four inches in front of her opponent. Mm. Like she's just so used to having somebody there holding mitts for her to hit that everything is targeted at an imaginary set of mitts. Yeah. Or she, yeah, or she just doesn't, um, I don't know exactly what the reason is. It might be, I mean, I, I, de- I definitely am a person who thinks that, uh, focus mitt and pad training is not always, it's not usually used correctly. Mm-hmm. And therefore, vastly overused. Yeah, I'm so sick of seeing videos of people doing like Mayweather style nine punch combinations when I have literally never seen them put more than three punches together in a row in an actual fight. Yeah, what are you doing? You're not actually learning anything that you can apply. Um, I much prefer this. Is this is actually funny? I, well, I'm getting off on a tangent, but did you see That's that fine. video that was posted of, of Marvin Vittori hitting pads in Thailand? I didn't know. Someone was like, oh, Marvin Vittori is looking really good on pads. And then people were critiquing it. Like, anyone can look good on pads, blah, blah, blah. But it was Thai-style pad training, which I actually think is, like, the best. Because mm-hmm. he's in there throwing power strikes. That's the focus. You throw yeah. hard, clean strikes, and you got to maintain the ability to do that for the entire round. Meanwhile, every once in a while, me, your pad man, I'm going to try to kick the shit out of you. Yeah, we're we're going to do basically a sort of measured sparring where you get to throw at me with full power like you never do in actual sparring. And I'm going to make sure that you're still thinking like a fighter by like testing your kick defense, countering you, catching your kicks now and then see how yeah. you react. Um, and yeah, he did look powerful and clean. I, I think that is very good pad training. The ties yeah. know what they're doing. Anyway, anyway. McKenna maybe does focus mitts. Maybe she doesn't. The problem is, is she doesn't follow through. Um, yeah. she doesn't commit and close the distance enough on her strikes. And Belismus is not like the most creative counterpuncher, but a very willing, accurate, and powerful counterpuncher. Really clean puncher. And yes, she has an excellent command of her range too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. She, she doesn't, she never or rarely ever punches herself out of range. You know, she's not the kind of fighter who you see throwing like a one-two and then walking into the clinch. Yep. And she, you know, if she's letting, if she's letting something go, it's usually going to be, you know, if it if it doesn't connect, it's because it, her opponent missed, you know, dodged it. It's not going to be the kind of thing where you see Vlismus throwing a lot of combos out there where it's like, oh wow, you were like a mile away from her when you started no. that. Yeah. And when she does fall in on her strikes, too, one thing I, I really do like about her striking is that um, she has a wrinkle of, of boxing that McKenna doesn't. Yeah. She actually anticipates a counter mm-hmm. and moves defensively. And she knows when she's exposed herself. Like, again, when yeah. she falls in on her right hand, she usually changes levels and tries to roll out and change angles. Yeah. 
I, I really like Vlismus as a puncher. Like you said, mm-hmm. there are questions to be asked about the well-roundedness of her game, her takedown defense, and things like that. I think I remember picking this in that uh, fight against Montserrat Canejo. Uh, I don't think that's the greatest. Um, I don't think that that was an exposure of a real true problem. Mm. I picked Conejo going into that because it's like, you know what? This is what what she does is so weird and so aggressive. And Vlismus has had so few fights mm-hmm. that she's just never going to she's not going to be used to this at all. And I know there's, you know, there's a lot of women who do a head and arm throw and all that. But Conejo specific, her brand of that into scarf holds and arm locks mm-hmm. is like really perfectly trained. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it is not just a fly by night. Oh, I thought I'd go for a takedown, but now we're in a clinch and I don't know, a head and arm throw is the easiest way for me to get torqued now that I'm here, so I'll try it. Right. It is very much I have worked relentlessly on this one thing and I know how to do it incredibly well and i'm gonna hit it and you know she hit it over and over then again because like you know it, it's like amanda lamos getting caught in the standing arm triangle from uh mm-hmm. uh what's her name jessica andrage right it's just like you just you know you you had no idea how were you gonna know and i mean she should have known because listen should have known because it's right there in the tape from Kaneo, you can watch her tape and be like, oh yeah, wow, she does that a lot. I should be prepped for it. But a lot of fighters don't watch a ton of tape. And especially early in their careers, they're just tra- fo- focusing on getting better and training for themselves. Yeah. <clears throat> they're not gonna they're not gonna pay attention to that it kind is of stuff. Another of many examples of coaching malpractice in MMA, yeah. though, to how would you ever let your fighter go into that fight? Like you don't just watch a couple of Ruiz's fights out of curiosity. Yeah. And immediately pick up on the one thing she does to everyone. Yeah. So I wasn't shocked by that at all, but I don't think it's indicative of a real deep problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a, it's a young fighter being hit by somebody who has a really specific technique that yeah. they've trained. Yeah. Yeah. A classic kind of prospect loss. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and then otherwise, yeah, she's, I mean, the typology says they're the same height. I don't, know if that if i believe that yeah. um but maybe the reason i don't believe it is uh, as tapology also says flismus has like a six and a half inch reach advantage or more on mckenna real short arms she is gonna feel like the much bigger fighter yeah um so yeah i think you know mckenna is gonna start aggressive but i think at some point she's gonna start getting bullied yeah I just have a lot more faith in Vlismus to to find her range repeatedly. And even yep. if she gets taken down for a round or something like that, you know, it's not like she just went out there against Conejo and just got, like, run over and submitted. She fought really hard to mm-hmm. that whole fight to try to fight her, find her way back in it. She just didn't have any idea what to do about this one throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that you know, so McKenna might she might swamp her for a round, but I expect Kaneha, or to, I expect Vlismus uh, to go right back out then and put hands on her. Yep. And at some point, her, her you know her game's gonna hopefully round itself out. Yeah, I, you know, it, twenty seven. She's had like seven fights, uh, eight, nine fights. She's got a lot yeah. of experience yet to uh, to benefit from. Yeah, she's only been 
a pro for four years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, McKenna, it's just one of those things of like, I mean, it may just be that she's should be an atom weight or something naturally. It may be, you know, having a 58 inch reach. Mm-hmm. If that's tr- if that's a real number, then that might just take you out of a lot of competition. If you don't, if you're not a hard puncher, and you're going to go out there and try to be a scrappy striker, like in a division where everybody has reach on you, mm-hmm. might just be a problem that is too difficult to solve. She 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 may also just be in a in the very early stages of the process of growing into this division. I mean, she's even yeah. younger than Felismus. True. 23. Yeah. Like she could just uh, a couple more years of fights and, and strength and conditioning. And she, who knows? Maybe she's got the, she's got, she's a puncher. (laughs) Yeah. She's got the form on her strike. It took, yeah, exactly. It took, um, how long it took Drew Dober. Yeah. It took to figure out how to protect people. Or, um, what was that? Who was I thinking? Um, oh, the infinite flyweight, a woman's flyweight title contender. Uh, oh, uh, blonde fighter, Chikagian? Yeah, Caitlin Chikagian. It took her years to the point where she was finally just like, I'm going to sit down on all my strikes and try to hurt people. Yeah, she's not a power puncher, but no. she makes people think twice about chasing her now. And she lands the strikes she throws now. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's just a really good thing. And McKenna's not there yet. There's a lot of... yeah. A, a lot of a lot of volume and a lot of not landing. But she's very young and she's scrappy. I think she's got potential. It's just yeah, she's a baby still. Definitely. Uh, right. That brings us odds on that fight. Blismus is the favorite here. Opened at plus one twenty five, dropped to minus one fifty. Is currently at minus one ninety six. McKenna opened at minus 145, jumped up to plus 138. It's currently at plus 161. Yeah, I like that. Reasonable favorite for Vlismus, not a huge favorite. She's lost before. McKenna's lost before. They're not, neither of them is unbeatable. Um, but I really like the distance command, power, and strike selection of Vlismus a lot. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Jake Matthews, Matthew Semmelsberger. And uh, this fight really just, I get, I, I have to feel like both these dudes just wanted to fight again in 2022. Mm. And the UFC was like, well, you're both welterweights and you both <laughs> want fights. Here, go yeah. for it. Because if I'm Jake Matthews, there's no other reason. I would be taking this fight. Right. You know, you just came off of a knockout win over Andre Fialho where you looked better than ever. And it's it's also quite possible that Jake Matthews uh, was called up and asked to take this fight and did not think twice about saying yes, given that he is one of the more has revealed himself as one of the more outspoken Actually, UFC fighter pay is is better than it needs to be, kind of guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's like a real sucker company man. So I, uh, I I made the joke after that that it took him a decade to grow a personality, and it, why did he, why would you choose that one? <laughs> <laughs> but he was such a non-entity for years in the yeah. UFC, where it's just like 
you're the quiet, respectful kid who doesn't do, you know, ask for anything and doesn't make any show, doesn't talk any trash, doesn't whatever. And then suddenly he comes out and he's just like, the, the most the boss is the teacher's nice. I yeah. like the teacher. Yeah. Shut up, nerd. <laughs> Didn't you forget our homework? <laughs> Shut the hell up. <laughs> Why isn't that talked about more in those terms? It's it's such a lame ass nerd behavior to be like, actually the boss is cool. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. But anyway, as a fighter right now, Jake Matthews looks great. He he has taken yes. a lot of time to cultivate this striking uh side of his game. He when he he first hit the UFC, he was kind of a blitzing brawler who would try to just like duck in on a shot, take you down and then start grappling. And then around the Shinsho Anzai fight or uh, somewhere in there, he started changing into this very negative very I choose all my moments um I'm going to be a technical with a capital T striker mm-hmm. and he had that miserable fight with Rasta Mackman where he's like I'm going to prove to this guy that I can you know I can outstrike anybody and you're like why yeah. that was you had the worst fight imaginable and you're you're leaning on that as a point of pride why um but he's stuck with that over time. And I think the long-term fallout of that is he finally looks like a pretty good puncher who knows his strikes and delivers them well and consistently. Yeah. What what he's shown is that he's, um, he's just gaining the sense of like distance and timing that that back foot style requires. Yep. I still am not super convinced that it's, um, that it's a very deep game. Yeah, I don't know that it's a championship style, but I, I'm just saying that, like, yeah, um, you know, managing to managing to stun and break the confidence of Andre Fialio is not doesn't really mean that much. That's kind of a thing that happens to him, yeah, all the damn time. Yes. Um. <clears throat> But, you know, he, he certainly looked way more confident in seizing his moments and um, and better at, like, mixing up his entries than ever and, before. It's just and, that it's I'm always I'm always I'm always unwilling to really put a lot of faith in like a what is still largely a single strike. Yeah, I get you. You know? Yeah, it, this it, is this is welterweight. I'm not sure how much like Leoto Machida you can be at welterweight. Yeah, I like that. He's throwing more stuff. Yeah. more often and he's connecting it better it's getting it, it is it is landing sharper and cleaner mm-hmm. and i think he has crafted something he has taken the long route to crafting something effective um it's not necessarily what i you know if i were his coach trying to push him in a direction i would not have pushed him in that capital t technical direction mm-hmm. but he's made something out of it in the long run you know, I would have been like, hey, go the RDA route. You have a natural predisposition towards bullying. Why don't you try to, like, you know, go be be Marvin Vittori at welterweight? Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot to there's a lot to be made out of that. Yeah. Um but this is you know, you you might have a longer career with less brain damage being this guy. Mm-hmm. Right? You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- Marvin Vittori eats a lot of damage to fight the way he does. Yeah, I just feel like uh, they're basically as good as Matthews looked against Fialio. There's, there's not. Um, it's maybe not like the safest way to approach Semmelsberger. Maybe not. Yeah, that might be true. Semmelsberger is perfectly happy to pressure. He's decent at it. He's got a big frame. He's a puncher. Yeah. Like. Uh, and this, and he is also a guy who has been in tough fights and still been in there in the third round, like relatively unshaken. Um, the thing I will say is relatively unshaken is something that he still has to grow into. Yeah. Regularly, he can get shook up early in fights, and yes, then he has to yeah. he has to convince himself to figure out to remember again. It's like, oh, okay, well, I got hurt a little, but I'm still here, and I still have the ideas that I walked in with and they are still working, I should go back to them. Yes. And I think that that's enough to, for Jake Matthews to get a win here, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I think combined with the wrestling threat, like there's Jake Matthews has a game that is really going to benefit from a, I mean, his athleticism, but, but B just like a couple of key switch ups. Mm -hmm. Clearly the biggest thing he's gained is that timing and, that can apply equally to wrestling and to striking. Yep. Uh, counters and interceptions. Yeah. Semmelsberger, he just, you know, I mean, I, I realize that he's uh, 30, but he's still pretty young in his career as a fighter. And he yeah, just yeah. needs more seasoning and more confidence to, he needs, he needs more technique to feel confident. You know, he yeah. needs to, to have be a sharper kickboxer to feel like he can pressure and get back to yeah. pressuring no matter what. He needs a way to establish himself in the fight that isn't hurting the opponent with a big right hand. He yeah. needs like to be able to sit on a jab, to be able to draw reactions out of guys. He needs a way yep. to build the confidence in, in that rangy aggressive style without having to hurt the opponent. Yeah. And he doesn't have that right now. Yeah. So Without, he needs uh, he needs what Phil would call wedges, uh-huh. better yeah. ways of just sort of forcing the crack open, basically. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think that like Alex Morono is a considerably deeper boxer than Jake Matthews. He's, a weird, is... he's a weird fighter. His technique yeah. is not good, but this that guy like moves his feet a lot and jabs really well. And we talked a, a lot about Morono and what we you know unfortunately really perfectly called would be his ultimate <laughs> demise against Santiago Ponzinibbio. I feel shitty for that. Yeah. He's being like, he, he always comes out with like a good idea of how to beat people. He's got all the right ideas. He even knows on all... super short notice. Yeah. Even on super short notice, he came out there and he's just like picking Ponzinibbio off and, you know, jabbing him up and on his back foot, on his bike, making Ponzinibbio wade in, catching him with big shots. And you're just like, man, you are outboxing this guy perfectly. And that's just like, but he's a little fragile. And Ponzinibbio has shown time and time again that he actually will continue to get, he will stay good into the third round and even get sharper. He gets better. And Morono kind of, not like dramatically, but he goes the opposite direction. Yeah. And, 
that just met for like that. There was a point where the two lines, the two curves touched for one brief second. And that is all it took yep. for Ponzinibbio to sleep in. Yeah. But no, yeah. Hurts the is... pawns like three times. But yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a really tricky. Yeah. And, and a really tricky fighter. And, more than tricky. This is, I mean, like Matthews yeah. has become a very tricky fighter. Yeah, Morono's like a consistent fighter. He's he's a principled fighter. Yeah, Morono. His he, technique. He's looked mess. at you. He has planned for you. He knows exactly what to do when you walk in, and he's gonna do it. Yeah, and and what I always mean when I say principled is he he moves his feet and jabs like yeah. <laughs> literally. That's all it yeah. takes. Matthews doesn't he doesn't really have that as like it. He doesn't have a process driven boxing game yeah he has yeah. a you're gonna walk in and make a huge mistake that i'm gonna capitalize on that's what his game has become yeah um i i don't think it's unlikely that Semmelsberger grows into this fight as it goes on yeah absolutely that I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. but i'm definitely still gonna pick matthews again the the, the power the switch ups um, having those other options to keep Semmels to delay the moment when Semmelsberger realizes that maybe this is a fight he can win. Yeah. Um, should be enough. And he might also, you never know, he might knock Semmelsberger out. He might hurt him badly. Yeah. Semmelsberger, like this is, I mean, I can see why Semmelsberger would take this fight. It's like, oh, I get a big chance to like take a step up and, you know, mm-hmm. grab a name, make a little to bounce back from that loss and to, to grab my momentum right back. Mm-hmm. And rock it up the welterweight division, but at the same time, nothing about that Morono fight suggested that Semmelsberger is really going right. to uh, benefit from this. Yeah. And if you're Morono, if you're Matthews, this is also just like a fight where it's like I have beat better people already. Like I, you know, this isn't yeah. going to do a lot for for me. So. Semmelsberger competed, but he also mostly got shut out by, like, the worst athlete in the division. Yeah. Yeah. And beating A.J. Fletcher and Martin Sano, those are fights that are very much in Semmelsberger's wheelhouse to to take over. Yeah. What what was Martin Sano's record coming into that fight? Hadn't he, like, not fought in, like, eight years? Yeah, it was, like, six and four with, like, eight years off. It, it was one of, that was where I, I eventually realized, hearing Nate Diaz talk about it later, that part of getting the UFC re-signing Diaz to a new yeah, contract yeah. in one of his negotiations was bringing Martin Sano into the UFC. Bringing all like, his boys in. They all get yep. one payday fight in the UFC. Yep. Yeah. So. Chris Avila came back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Odds here. Uh, Jake Matthews is a healthy favorite, as expected. Open to minus 220, dropped down to minus 235, currently down to minus 267. Semmelsberger opened at plus 185, jumped up to plus 200, currently at plus 213. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it just, it's a weird, it, it's not a great booking. It, it'll be a fun fight. It's just not a great booking. Agreed. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Julian Marquez, Duran Wynn, and speaking of fighters in the throes of becoming capital T technical. Hmm. Yeah. I don't I mean, I, 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 could, I, could, I could pick out Marquez because he's more obviously in the heart of that struggle, <clears throat> but Duran Wynn is going through it as well. That's true. Yeah, this is this is what happens so often in MMA. Like, 
uh, again, an indictment on the quality of striking coaching in particular yeah. in yeah. this sport that so many fighters, great athletes, they just get to a reasonably high level having never learned the, the basic fundamentals of striking technique yeah, or strategy. You yeah. know, like they That's just the don't process and strategy. They don't know how to put things together. They don't know what sets up what, why you do certain things. All they know is you punch the other guy hard enough, you might win. Like yep. it's a very, very rudimentary understanding of what striking is. It's also why, why I keep talking about not liking to see teenagers go straight into MMA. Absolutely. Because you're learning your striking at an MMA gym. And I, yeah. I can, I, I have confidence that an MMA gym will teach you good wrestling or good grappling. Yeah. I do not have confidence that your MMA, your, your regional tiny, my podunk cow town MMA gym run by an ex UFC vet that, uh, you know, everybody loved and thought was awesome is going to teach you how to strike really well. Yeah. You know, there are guys, I mean, so many of the guys who come out of those places and do look like reasonably good strikers are essentially self-taught. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I went to, um, Rosas is training under like Kurt Pellegrino or something. Was it? Yeah. 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 You know, that kind of thing. I went to George Grigel's MMA gym for a time, uh, uh, in Northern Cincinnati. And, um, yeah, like literally the only the only thing I would qualify as like real um, striking, like a, a, a like lecture type of teaching experience on striking was a, was a, uh, a visit by, I wish I could remember the guy's name. I used to know it, but a, a Muay Thai fighter, an American, a Farang Muay Thai fighter who trained Matt Brown, mm. um, who like came in to do like essentially a clinch seminar on like yeah. the striking on the striking clinch. And otherwise, it was pretty much like maybe we'll do a combo and then we'll do like a partner drill. Yeah. And then you'll spar. And it's un- it's not like the sparring that happens in boxing gyms and MMA gyms, in my experience. In boxing gyms, there's a ring. And you get in the ring and it's two people in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> and the coaches are watching and all the other boxers are watching and people are shouting advice and you you do like rounds Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? Like it's very yeah. focused on you and your improvement. It's like a, it's like a private lesson right in the middle of class. And in MMA gyms, there's nine pairs of people sparring at one time on a mat. Yep. On an open mat. And basically, yeah, you just kind of have to figure it out. It's and there's a lot of, sport. there are a lot of camps at a high level that still operate that uh, way. Yeah. There's so many, it's so weird how many high level MMA camps are still like, like professional fighters are going to classes. Yeah. You don't have like a training regimen. You're going to group classes. That's it's really insane. strange. That's not how it works in boxing or even kickboxing. I don't think. No. Um, so yeah. Uh, all this is besides the point. Both guys are trying to become technical. I don't know that it's, I think for Darren Wynn, it's more sustainable. I think he kind of well, wants. It's more desperate too. <laughs> he needs it more. Yeah, like... that's a very good way of putting it. He needs to be capital T technical because he doesn't have a lot to offer el- otherwise. Yeah, not super powerful, even though he's a very good athlete. He's got incredibly short arms. He, he's just too small to be a. He's incredibly short in general. Julian Marquez is a big dude with a granite chin. 
and he hits like a truck. Mm-hmm. So, A, he needs to be capital T technical less. B, I don't know that he'll ever succeed because at some point something goes wrong and he turns back into Julian Marquez. Well, and it's, you know, the lessons he's going to learn along the way are like the ones that Gregory Rodriguez taught, Rodriguez taught him, which is yeah. if you come out and you try to test your jab on me, I am yeah. going to murder you. You know, you try, mm-hmm. you come out and you're like, oh, I don't know. Should I rush in or should I, should I stay out here and try and kick and like test my jab and like, let's work my way into the fight from the distance. And Rodriguez is just like, here's yeah. a one, two and a body kick. I am about to ruin your life. Yeah. Oh, you're indecisive. Prepare to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem with all the capital T technical fighters. Yeah. It's indecision. It's like literally my first experience of having to think about what I'm doing when I'm striking. It's, it's, it's too little, too late. Most of the yeah. time. Yeah. Anyway, it's not going to matter here because no. at some point Julian Marquez, first of all, Darren, Wynn, I don't think his, he's just too small. Yeah. He's just he's, too small. But for as long as they have the technical fight, uh, Marquez is going to compete with him perfectly fine. Yeah. If not be winning by being a bigger man. And then if at any point, uh, the fight turns into a Julian Marquez fight. I also think he's going to win that. Yeah, I mean, it was so. like it's like the Sam Alvey thing. He got really pissed at me, and I feel bad. I feel a little bad still, like in a weird way, because I was right. So I shouldn't feel that bad. What was the thing that happened? Remind me. Julian Marquez got. Re- I, I put out a tweet, and I was just like, I think Julian Marquez is going to have the worst possible fight with Sam Alvey, and he'll oh, still right. win it. Yeah, which is exactly what happened. Which is exactly what happened, and he saw it. And he was like, I'm never working with you know bloody elbow again. I'm like, what working with? We're not business partners. I didn't have some like I you never knew who I was until I sent this tweet. You and you vanity searched it. Like I didn't reach out to you. He, he came so close to a let me speak to your manager, I am the manager moment. Yeah. So close. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I it's just like uh, you don't, you're you not know. gonna have my business. Yeah, I'm still gonna talk about your fights. Yeah, I got goofball. <laughs> what do you think I, this is? Yeah, uh, you know, at the very least, it's a it is a slightly barbed compliment where I am saying, I think you're just gonna beat this guy because you're better than him. Yeah, and I don't know that you're necessarily gonna pick the best way to do it, but I am still sympathetic to it, though, aren't you? Yeah, because like I say things yeah. all the time where I'm like, man, if I was this competitor in this spotlight oh, sure, and I right. saw some jerk ass do nothing saying this about me i would be so pissed oh yeah no i i i am fully aware i don't this is why i don't go out and like i'm not going out and trying to like dunk on anybody no 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 yeah or trying to like have an argument online with anybody i'm like no if you're gonna if you want to hate on me and like be mad at me that's fine i'm not gonna it is is your right you know you're you're right yeah um but I, you know, it's it you were you were correct though. Yeah, <laughs> you, were, correct. you were spot on. Yeah, it's like you're gonna end up running in there and just swinging hammers with Sam Alvey, and you're gonna win that fight. Like, yeah. and yeah, that's with the thing with Duran, like with Marquez, is that Duran win? Like, he can't do what Gregory Rodriguez do, did. And he's going to try. Deron Wynn, like, it has been a, a much more... I think Deron Wynn is turning himself into a pretty technical fighter, really. Yeah, yeah he is. Like, 
He's, he's his punches are sharp. He picks his moments well. He is, you know, really looks like he is trying to mix up what he does and how he does it and pick his his targets and change things up with takedowns and all this stuff. But that it did not help him at all against Phil Hawes. Yep. Phil Hawes just shredded him because he could hit him first every single time. Yeah. And then by the time that we they got into the pocket, Wynn has already eaten two or three shots and Hawes can just change to something else. You know, he's already got the momentum firmly on his side. According to Tapology, he's eight inches shorter than Marquez. Yeah. Huge disparity. So even if Marquez is outside thinking like, oh, I don't know, should I jab? Should I locate? What do I do here? He's got like a whole step that Wynn can take towards him to figure it out. And that's enough. Like Marquez has been a good split, a good enough split second decision maker in that kind of, in that kind of fight that you have to pick him. Yeah. And again, this isn't the kind of call I would make. Um, if the, if the short guy, I wouldn't make a call just on the basis of size. If the short guy was already technical, it is literally because of this very specific to MMA thing where fighters get to this point in their career where they need to learn how to box yeah, and they haven't yet. And so when you're in those growing pain stages, terrible things are going to happen to you. We, we sometimes fighters come out the other side and they clearly benefit from it. We've seen that many times too. Look at Dustin Poirier, for example. Yeah. I I would say though, in the case of win that if this were boxing, he very likely would not be functionally in the sport. It's, it's just that with that kind of reach disadvantage, you would have needed to have been learning how to use that, what style suits it, and all the specific techniques to make to make your reach functional from day one. Yeah, and not now when it's too late. And and even even then, yeah, it's still there aren't a huge that many styles that will make up for the way he's built. Like, yeah, I mean, you can look at a guy like Dwight Muhammad Kawi, you know, a stocky little boxer. Um, who went in there and fought much taller guys, and it's just a buzzsaw. Like there are, it, it, it is a viable thing. You can also look at guys like uh, there's a little, I think a flyweight uh, fought ages ago named uh, Miguel Canto, who was a short guy who was an outfighter, and would like make people give up their own reach advantage and draw them in. I'm, I'm saying it's yeah. viable to be small and fight. Okay. It is a disadvantage, but the thing is, is you need to know how to use it, and it's too late to figure that out. That's the problem. Yeah, and I mean, also, like, you know, you talk about somebody like, yeah, okay, you know, fair enough for Kawi. Uh, or I, I'm, I was looking at his... Uh, Kawi's a beast. You should watch him. <laughs> yeah. Um, he And he was fighting at light heavyweight, too, So yeah. I, and, and cruiserweight. So I, cause I was going to be like, I mean, you know, yeah, he's five and a half feet tall, or five foot five in a 71-inch reach, but where was he fighting at? But yeah, he was fighting heavy, fighting so... Big dudes, yeah. yeah it, you you have a very fair point to make there. It, it is possible, but it would have had to be from really... He spent his big. whole career learning how to yeah. use his frame. Yeah, and Wynn is really just only figuring it out. Yeah. 
there's a there's a hard ceiling on how much you can learn at this point. Yeah. Uh Win is the underdog here, opened at plus 155, dropped to plus 140, is currently at plus 143. Marquez opened at minus 180, jumped up to minus 160, currently down to minus 173. All right. Fine. That, hmm? I said fine. Fine. Yeah, fine. That brings us to a bantamweight weight bout. Saeed Nurmagomedov, Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. And... Uh, this is uh, also an interesting booking. This is mm-hmm. a, a, I I would once again just have to imagine imagine that Said Nurmagomedov was like or Nurmagomedov was like, hey, I want to get a fight in another fight in before the end of the year. You owe me that. Come on, because coming off a win over Douglas Silva de Andrade, uh, Said Yakub Kakramanov is like a tough fight that does absolutely nothing for him. Yeah, but it's certainly better than the other, uh, a more competitive looking matchup, I think, than the other yes. one. Yes. Said Yakub looks like a tireless wrestling threat mm-hmm. that is going to be a challenge to just about anybody, even if he does have a loss to Pipe Vargas. We just figured out it's it's Pipe, right? It's Pipe, yeah. It's just I I'll never look at that name and not just say Pipe. Uh huh. Anyway, uh, yeah. So Saeed Yakub Kakramanov, I mean, he is he is banking on the wrestler's gambit, you know, like. He, He's got some strikes in there. He'll throw some exciting sort of wild stuff, but it's all based around getting him inside. If he's if he's throwing anything at you, it's to get you second guessing enough that he can grab onto you. Yeah. And um, it's that it's sort of that you know Danny Sabatello gambit that we saw from the recent Bellator event, mm. where. The intention. I didn't catch that one. All I knew was everyone was mad about the decision. Uh, they were mad that somebody, that Doug Crosby gave Sabatello a 50 45 in a yeah. fight where he basically just hung on to his opponent and got hit. And <clears> the opponent <throat> won. I mean, Rapion Stotts was given the win, but mm. the split was 50 45 against, you know, like mm-hmm. every round scored for him. Um, and this, I mean, the you know, there there is more grappling in Saeed Yacoub's game. He's got some sub wins over time. He's mm-hmm. certainly, and like I said, that though, and that 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 striking of his, that wild striking of his, has led to a couple of knockouts too. So it's it's not like he's just undangerous. Um, no, it's just all very pointed towards. I'm going to horse you around with a wrestling base. Yeah, but it's like there's like an actual good reason for it. When he gets yeah. into his positions, he is progressing. He's improving position. Yeah. He's doing yeah. damage. It's not um, I need to keep you from, from fighting me where I'm least good. It's I need to crush you where I'm actually great. Yeah, yeah. And th- there's an avenue for that to work against Said uh, Nurmagomedov. Yeah. He's He's not the he, he's a good athlete, but uh, he's not like the most overwhelmingly you can't budge me. I'm the strongest guy in this division kind of athlete. 
you know, mm-hmm. Hani Barcelos went out there, didn't actually do that much controlling of him because he's very hard to control, but was still able to slow him down, push him around a little, get him to the mat a couple of times and take over that fight in a couple of rounds with some good takedowns mm-hmm. and just kind of be a hoss. Um, I don't know if that's going to be as functional for Kuk Romanov. I don't get the feeling that he's quite the same kind of physical force that Barcelos is. No, I but I think he might be just a better wrestler. That, like, that's the, very true. The thing is, is like you watch um, like Kuk Romanov's fight with uh, like Ronnie Lawrence, who's also not yeah. a great athlete. Yeah. And like he he crashes into him. And Lawrence like does like a like a double under like cow catcher kind of thing and just uh-huh. like whips him off his feet and you're like ooh that's not a good sign you're the wrestler but Kakramov just stays connected to him and just keeps piling on little annoying attacks until he destroys his balance and gets him down yeah um, he's a really really dogged and technical wrestler he is I, I I'm just wondering if like. Without the power of Barcelos's game, would yep. Barcelos have had the success even that he did? Because it wasn't it, – it was a close fight that he yes. had, they, yes. that they had. And uh, Nurmagomedov got to spend a lot of it standing and striking at range. Yeah, and it seems just also way more likely that, uh, that Nurmagomedov was just going to – can just win rounds with single moments. Yeah, because like just, you know, you crash into me, you bounce off, I grab the back of your head and knee you in the goddamn face. Like, um, but it's also he's not nearly as uh, put together a striker as Barcelos is not as measured, not as skilled, not as consistent with his technique. You know, it's much more I've tried a wheel kick and I'm going to fling myself on a single leg now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it really is the wrestling. And the other thing I'll add is that that gives me pause here is that um um Said is just such a kicker. Yeah. He loves just slapping out single kicks. And that has gotta be not the wisest way to approach a guy who really only wants to take you it's down. It's true. Yeah, it's true. There's just going to be there are going to be opportunities to just even just stumble in while while uh, Nurmagomedov uh, is still on one leg and just yeah. run him off his feet and and at least create a scramble where I don't know man I I do agree with your first statement that it, this is just a um I guess respect to uh, to uh, Nurmagomedov but it's not a it's not a it's not a smart fight to take. No, because it's not. It does. It's not. Doesn't seem like a a, a pushover kind of matchup, and it also do, doesn't seem like it does anything. Yeah, to win. It, it really is not a fight that if he wins it, he does not get anywhere. Yeah, does not grow his brand. Um, and I, I I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of um of Nurmagomedov's striking style, to be honest. Like it is very pot shoddy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Someday somebody is just going to have a very clear idea of what they want to do and run into him. And, um, and, and this could and be make, that fight. It could be that fight. Yeah. Just make him really uncomfortable and, and put him in a position where he starts off feeling, Oh, I'm strong. Like none of this is actually going to trouble me, but he just has to keep using that strength 
and the opponent just doesn't go away and doesn't stop pressing their game. This yeah. could very well be that fight. I'm going to pick Nurmagomedov still, but, uh, you know, this has the feeling of a trap. It it does. He's lost to Magomed Babulatov. He's lost to Hani Barcelos. You know, there, there have been, you know, these kinds of difficult physical fights in the past that he hasn't won. Yeah. And, He's beat he beat Cody Stamen and he beat Douglas Silva de Andrade. Those are great wins. Yeah, it just seems he just seems a little. Um, um, oh God, who who am I thinking of that I want to compare him to? I don't know. It escapes me. It, it's just oh, uh, who's the other uh, Dagestani fighter? He's like a very super good athlete, and it's the only reason he's won a lot of his fights. Oh, um, yeah. Tukugov? the bear Tukugov, yeah. It just seems a little Tukugov y. Yeah. A, not nearly as much structure as I want to see. Clearly, he's a crisp technician. He's powerful as hell. But, like, there's so much just sort of empty space just begging for the opponent to seize the initiative of the fight. Yeah. It's a it's a style which assumes that the opponent has to respect your distance and respect the danger of what you want to do, and they don't. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think that's Kakramanov's approach. I might just, just for fun, just take a flyer and pick Kakramanov. Yeah, why not? He's going to get a lot of wrestling opportunities. I think he is a very driven, um, single-minded kind of fighter. Yeah, un- you know, unquestionably. And and specifically a technical enough wrestler that, like, I mean, Douglas De Silva ran in and was able to like mush Nurmagomedov against the fence almost immediately. Mm-hmm. It's just he he couldn't do anything with those positions. I think Kakramanov might be able to. Yeah, I'm willing to find out. It uh, interesting matchup. Think, yeah, it's an interesting matchup. I, I think Nurmagomedov can find enough moments to land big, can take enough advantage of the wildness of yeah. Kakramanov's entries, and maybe even kick his legs a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is it is wide open fight for Kakramanov to come in and steal a lot of momentum away from. Magomedov. Yeah. I do uh, think he's going to just bounce off of him like a brick wall a few times at first. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, what's the actual size difference here? 5'8", 69-inch wingspan for Kokramanov. 5'8", 70. Uh, but it's clear Nurmagomedov is a thicker, stronger man. I mean... Odds on the fight. Uh... Nurmag- uh, Nurmagomedov opened at minus 150, jumped up to minus 110, and is currently at minus 114. Kakramanov opened at plus 130, dropped to minus 110, is currently minus 108. So basically dead even. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Rafa Garcia, Hayasar Mahashate. And... Or as he's now listed on Tapology, simply Mahashate. Yeah, he's he. That's I think what he came into the UFC being known as exclusively. Why do I not remember him at all until I did the research for these fights? He just kind of popped up on the end of one of the contender series and got a weird, ugly win that nobody really cared about, and had it pretty. Fun, it was a fun fight. I mean, it was a fun fight, but it was not like. You know, it didn't announce him as anything. It was like, oh, no. you got a scrappy win on Contender Series, and you're in the UFC now. 
And then he just melted Steve Garcia. Yeah. Trust um, me, I've I've watched everything I need to watch by now, but yeah. When I looked at this car, I was like, who the hell is Mahashate? There's also I know who he is very well because there is a Twitter account under that under his name that follows me and pinged me specifically and gave me a bunch of uh like made fun of me for not picking him. <laughs> and I don't know if it's the actual dude or not because it's just the goofy like tapology photo uh-huh. of him. But like and, what? You didn't pick him and then he won and then he mocked you for it? Yeah. I yeah. hope it's him. That's that's kind of delightfully petty. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're finding just random. He, he, I think he even actually mocked me before the fight. He he went and like found my picks on like Bloody <laughs> Yellow and was like, you know, <laughs> making fun of me. And like, oh. I, I, it's got like 50 followers. I don't know that it's the guy. I, I would be shocked if it was. But if it's a troll job, like, why would you choose that? Like, yeah, it seems strange. I hope it it's him. the most out of the. Yeah, I hope it is, I, too. Frankly, I admit I'm completely ignorant of what Chinese um, naming practices are. Mm-hmm. I but I, but from my Western perspective. The guy who goes by only one name is definitely the guy who name searches himself. <laughs> like, he follows me. It's not even a, like he, he follows me on Twitter. Oh, I, I don't so he's, know. He, He's just gets mainlining the criticism. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here for it. Like, I want to see this guy. It, it, if if so, it, like, it's clearly a kid. You know, there's a lot of these kids that are coming out of the China scene that have like very clearly gotten a lot of good skill training in at least a few areas from a very young age. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen with um, what's his name, uh, Song Yedong. Of course, yeah. You know, and uh, Weili Zhang and others too. Like, they, you know, I, I don't like to see teens going into pro MMA, but at least in these cases where, like, you know, they're, I don't know, plucking orphans off the street and sticking them into <laughs> MMA gyms, MMA schools. Um, I have no idea if that's what happens. I'm going to go ahead and just assume it doesn't, actually. No, it was like, there was a whole scandal about uh, Enbo Jim. Oh. About with some of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, families like just dumping kids at the gym and then living and growing up there kind of thing. Mm. One of like the big China gyms and the owner getting into a bunch of trouble with the government. Wow. Yeah. Please, sir, can I have some Mortal Kombat? That... <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oliver yeah. Twister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um I like I like the the baseline of Mahashati's striking game. Yeah. It seems like he's got some really measured counters off his back foot. He's got great timing, good hand speed. Um seems like somebody who has been in a lot of fights honestly like not everything he does is great his wrestling reactions his grappling reactions seem really questionable but his his striking skills have clearly been honed somewhere mm-hmm. like uh, most mma fighters that does not uh, does not really pertain to defense yeah 
I mean, yeah. he's one of these guys whose his defense is, is his distance entirely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, as happened in his contender series fight very early, if you just like crash through and throw a combination, you're probably going to hit him. Yeah. But also crashing through his distance is precisely the, gives him the opportunities that he is looking for because he is a sharp single strike counterpuncher as well. Yep. Uh, very accurate. Good timing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a pretty shallow game, I think, but it's, it's got some good building blocks. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because he's also six feet tall. So he's, he's going to be big. much bigger than Rafa Garcia. Yeah. And that, so I that think is, is five, 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 seven. Uh, yeah, five, seven. And I think Machate is also going to have like a four inch reach advantage. Yeah. Four and a half. Yeah. That makes this fight interesting because basically like this is not the way Rafa Garcia loses fights. Yeah, it's not. Um, he's somebody that has to be, his wrestling game has to be stopped, you know, in, in, uh, kind of the ways we're talking about, like Armand Soyukin, not nearly his quality, but in a similar kind of idea, Mm -hmm. you have to shut down the ability for Garcia to transition through all the stages of what he wants to do. He actually reminds me a lot of like Lupe Godinez. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Where if like, if you start letting... Rafa Garcia out wrestle you, you're doomed. You're doomed. Yeah. If you if you uh, if you trap him in a striking game, he's a. I, this is my word of the day. Clearly, a serviceable boxer. Yeah. But there's just I, I don't know. There's sort of a hitch in his boxing game. Like it, I mean, there's some there's something in his boxing game where he just got oh. beat by Chris Gritzmacher. Yeah. You know, and like could, that you, th- that should not happen. He's to, almost like uh, his boxing reminds me sort of of, of um, Jennifer Myers. Yeah, it's almost like it's two. It's just two meat and potatoes. Like one twos. There's not. There's not a lot of subtlety. There's not a lot of like rhythmic variation or fainting. Um, it's the, his technique is pretty good, and I like that he. You know, he leads with his jab. He hits the body, but uh, it's like you know you're getting no more than two punch, two maybe three punches in a row. You know he's going to kind of be standing there after he throws, not really adjusting. He's not a flowy striker. Yeah, it is really honestly like the Lupita Godinez comparison. The more I think about it, the more it is just like I look at Rafa Garcia the way I look at Lupita Godinez losing to – What was it, Luana Carolina? Luana Carolina, and I'm like – I watch her other fights. I'm like, how did you lose to this person? And I watch Rafa Garcia lose to Chris Gritzmacher. I'm like – how? What? Yeah. Yeah. Why? You didn't need to lose this fight. Yeah. So there is like a sense where he can just lose random fights, but it's not usually just because like, oh, the opponent, it's not because the opponent can knock him out. That's never happened to Rafa Garcia. He's yeah. He's tougher than an old boot, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might be enough to just take Mahashate off his game and like out wrestle him and out grab, let all the parts work together. How is Mahashate's defensive wrestling? I haven't seen it tested very often. It's, I think his initial reactions aren't great. I think he's big and strong so he can scramble his way out of stuff. All right. But it's usually after things already started going wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, 
Yeah, he does seem like a very, again, a, a sort of narrowly defined fighter. Yeah. And Gar- Garcia, when he gets to be the well-rounded one, he does tend to win. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Garcia. That seems like enough. I'll take Mahashate just because I don't want him to make fun of me again. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hope he makes fun of me now. Yeah. So I'll I'll do that just just for the solid of uh, it, the the account that may or may not be him, and I hope is him. And if it's not, it's an effective troll either way because I'm so like befuddled by the idea that anybody would. That's a niche. <laughs> That's a real niche name. To this way to troll me yeah. that I can't imagine it. So I have to give it credit and just be like, well, maybe he's going to knock him out and I'll look, I'll look stupid again. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm going to take the, the random chance pick, even though I do think this is a fight that Rafa Garcia should win. Yeah. He is going to get it to hit super clean in the first round. Several times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna have to be convinced to wrestle. I think that uh, that, that often happens. All right, odds on the bout. Garcia is the favorite. Opened at minus one ten, dropped to minus one twenty five. Currently down at minus one thirty three. Mahashate opened at minus one ten, jumped up to plus one hundred five. It's currently at plus one hundred nine. All right. That uh, brings us to a welterweight battle. Rinat Fakritinov against Brian Battle. And um, it's pretty good, I got to say, on Fakritinov. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a harder this is a hard fight to pick too because mm-hmm. Fakritinov is. If we've got like that, you know, certain sambo stylists of MMA where it's like, um, oh, damn it, who's the light heavyweight that's just Mirzakhanov? Osmat Mirzakhanov? Where it's like you've got a little wrestling, but mostly you've got like this super powerful kind of wild but super well-timed punching game mm-hmm. that can just always crush people you're you're you know not that he's russian but your blago ivanov kind of mm-hmm. style of fight you've got that that style of russian or you've got your you know your your habib uh islam makachev similar sambo styled but with more grappling and wrestling focus this is the other one where it's like a guy who's just never looked at a punching, who's never looked at his fists in his entire life, <laughs> does not understand that he has hands for anything other than to grab onto somebody. Yeah. Like nobody ever told him he could punch. He yeah. just, he started out in wrestling competitions and just signed up for MMA one day and thought it was just wrestling. Yeah. Someday he's going to look down at his hand while he's like holding a fork. Ooh, yeah. What is that? That's exactly. a fist. Renat, that's your fist. What? Yeah. Yeah. He's a very, very clingy. Yeah. Clingy fighter. <laughs> he must be intensely annoying to fight this kind of style, by the way. Yeah. Because yeah. even if you're winning, it's like you're just going through hell. Like, he's just like glue, man. Yeah. 
On the other side, you got Battle, who is a, I will break you with my will and with volume and with being annoying and being willing to throw stuff all the time. Yeah. And being unflappable. And he has been surprisingly effective, but yeah. I also don't think he's good. Yeah. I mean, going going down to welterweight both is like kind of a blessing and a curse for him because he gets to be the big guy that he never was at middleweight. Yeah. But welterweights are actually also good. Yeah. So he's going to walk into much deeper water much quicker. He he got an instant knockout of Takashi Sato, but Sato's, you know, kind of one of the rare placeholders on the welterweight roster. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to pick Fakratinov. I Mm. think. He'll just come out dedicated to an ugly wrestling game. And Battle got taken down by Treshawn Gore. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, he's too backupable. He's too takedownable. He depends too much on scrambling and scrapping after the bad stuff has already happened. Yeah, he is your classic MMA native. Yep. He's a real master of none kind of fighter. Yeah. Um, and And also that MMA attitude of like, oh, you may take me down. Are you ready for my guard? You, you know, you can come and bully me. Are you ready to be bullied back when I, you know, I'm still here in the third round because I train for like an hour of striking against 30 people a day? And Fakhrdinov says, duh. Duh, yeah. <laughs> Takes him down and tests his guard immediately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just think... um yeah, bat, you're, yeah I, I don't really even have anything to add. Battle, Battle has a style which assumes that you're going to throw everything at him and he's just going to weather it. And honestly, I think that like an insanely clingy, persistent wrestling game is like the cure to that approach. Yeah. Like, oh, your your style is based on letting me do what I want to do? Great. No, it's the Conor McGregor thing. He's he's just letting Khabib be on him to wear himself out. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. No, prepare <laughs> prepare for hell is the response from Fakratinov style fighters. Yeah, it's That's... the Darren Elkins thing of Darren Elkins has beat so many people who are like, well, I'm just going to weather his clingy grappling game and then I'll uh-huh. bounce back and take him out. Uh-huh. Yeah, have fun. <laughs> yeah. No, it's you, you're in for a miserable fight if you don't, like... Uh, if a you're not yourself an incredibly effective, powerful wrestler, um, or if you don't have like a, a, a reliable way of grabbing the initiative of the fight and not letting the dude just do just grab onto you over and over again, <clears throat> just letting him do it and assuming you're gonna win in a scrap is that's not that's not a strategy. Yeah. Odds on the fight. Battle is the underdog. Opened at plus 130, dropped to minus 101, is currently up at plus 124. Rafa Garcia, oh, wait, wrong fight. Uh, <laughs> Fakratinov opened at minus 150, jumped up to pl- minus 112, and is currently back down at minus 150. Yeah, that's reasonable. Sure. Uh, Fakratinov is, I mean, those kind of single dimension. Uh, European fighters tend to hit a pretty hard ceiling in the UFC pretty quick. You tend to, they tend to end up with somebody, they tend to up with people who can wrestle just well enough to stay up and then just destroy them. Yeah. So I don't know that he's got necessarily a whole lot longer to go at welterweight than battle does. 
but I uh, I have more faith in it right now. Yeah, he's just like the next generation of like Trevor Smith. Y- yeah, you know these guys do get cooked eventually because they're mm-hmm. one dimensional. But <clears throat> Brian Battle doesn't have any doesn't have a single full dimension. So yeah. All right, that brings us to a flyweight bout. Monel Cop, David Dvorak. This is a very good fight. This is a very good fight. I, I basically see this as um, just like a downgraded version of Dvorak's last fight. Mm-hmm. Where he, he went in there and competed reasonably with uh, an extremely sharp and consistent counterpuncher in Matthews Nicolau. Yep. And now he's going to go in there against a, um, you know, granted, maybe a, maybe a faster, more powerful, faster, more powerful. Uh, also more interested in pressuring. Yeah. Yeah. Pressure. But also for more interested in more interested in everything else for better and for worse. Like, yeah. Uh, the, the less thing focused, with, far less focused. Exactly. Yeah. N- Nicolau, um, Nicolau is is so precise and technical that like it it actually I don't think is even a downgrade for him to not be as fast as powerful as Cop. Yeah, he truly does make up for that by being super accurate. And again, as we say every time he fights, he hurts everyone he fights. Mm-hmm. Um, without having to be like a freak athlete or anything. Yep. Cop is, uh, yeah. I mean, the the byword on Cop is 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 inconsistent yeah um and that's that's Dvorak is a very consistent fighter I've, I've really been super impressed with his uh his run in the UFC he's not anybody's idea of a great athlete he's not super dangerous um I don't even think he has like I don't really love the mechanics of his striking game all that much mm-hmm. but he's a super persistent fighter who knows how to use his reach he will take whatever opening, um, whatever opening the opponent gives him. He's not too choosy, which I always like to see from strikers as well. Uh, works the body, works the legs, puts combinations together, and is super duper tough. Yeah. So, and what I really like about him too is, if he thinks he can bully somebody, he will. Yeah. You know, that's a really good thing to see out of a guy who's not a great athlete, but is really. Uh, well-rounded and really scrappy and consistent about taking opportunities. It's a lot like Julian Arosa in that way without the chin issues, you know, where it's yeah. just like if David Dvorak sees you, goes out there and sees that you're not going to match him in something, he will just push that game on you. Yeah. He will bully yeah. you. Yeah, even even in the Nikolaou fight. I mean, yeah. there, there were sequences where, like, Nikolaou, every time he, he found his left hook, he was hurting Dvorak. Mm-hmm. And still, minutes at a time in, in, into the third round, Dvorak was the one pressuring and landing clean shots and trying to transition to wrestling. Like, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a very solid fighter. I, I don't know if... There, there has to be a ceiling for Dvorak. Is the thing like yeah? Manuel Cop is a really dangerous fighter. He's really? had so many fights where nothing goes right until he wins. Yeah. Um. It's rare that fight. It's rare that flyweights have fight changing power, but yeah. he does. Yeah, he really does. Um. 
And I just can't really look at that Nikolau fight in particular and see Dvorak just getting rocked so many times without leaning towards Mantle Cup. Yeah, and it might even be, too, that, like, it'll be that Cop might have a better fight because he'll be pressuring. That that Dvorak getting to pressure, get, it gave him a comfort zone of trying to be that bully and, and trying true. to and assert his game like he wanted to. Whereas Cop is much less likely to let you walk him down. He'll mm-hmm. hit you really hard for trying and back you up. And then if he can get the, the chance, he'll pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's much more formless. He doesn't really, Cop has never really known what kind of fight he wants to have. Right. But I do think he's figuring that out in the UFC. Uh, he certainly came out against Jalgas Jumagulov and was much more dedicated to the idea that he was going to throw volume. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this guy's going to come out and he's going to try to, you know, I, I can't let somebody just, I can't let the O'Day Osborne fight happen again mm-hmm. where somebody just comes out, out at me and is picking me off at range and is getting all to do all the things they want and I have to time them. He came out and he just mixed it up with Zhubagulov and was like, all right, we're going to, we're both going to go and we're both going to get our shots and I'm going to trust that mine are better. Mm-hmm. And he was right. You know? Yeah, I think that's a good read. In, in a way, against Nikola, the Nikolau uh, Dvorak fight, both fighters did kind of get what they wanted. Yeah. Where even if it was a losing proposition, it was still, yeah, Dvorak is like, he, he does have the attitude of like, I'm going to get that back. Yeah. Hit me if you want, hurt me if you want, I don't care. He's a very brave fighter. Yeah, very. But um, he also doesn't tend to start fights in that aggressive pressuring mode. He has to find it and and sort of be invited. And Nikolau, God knows, will absolutely like Matt Schnell came into a fight with Nikolau, not wanting to do a crazy brawl. Yeah, and Nikolau's like, no, 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 you have to chase me, chase me. Nikolau would absolutely invite Dracula into his house. <laughs> yes, yeah, he 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 is most comfortable inviting you in, and yeah. um. Yeah, and and then it's also it's it is really just a simple athleticism pick. Like Cop is yeah. just, he's just a more dangerous, faster, harder hitting fighter. He's really tough. He's really hard to break. Uh, you know, there is a good chance here. I will say this: there is an opportunity here for Dvorak to find a back take in a scramble. Mm-hmm. If he can get in there, and if he can get uh, Cop overextending on something or getting wild on something. Uh, Dvorak is a pretty good back taker. He's got a few rear naked chokes under his belt. That is something that has cost cop in the past. Uh, it's, you know, it, it is a way I don't trust Dvorak to have the uh, athleticism to outright out wrestle cop. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's just a chance to find something in a moment in a scramble in there. It's just, it's going to be hard because cop's going to be hitting him really hard. Yeah, Dvorak's a pretty tricky scrambler in general. He is. No, he's, he's just, he uses those long limbs well. Yeah. I like him as a fighter. He's, 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 he was a great flyweight pickup for the UFC. For sure. Odds on the bout. Dvorak is the underdog. Opened at plus 140, jumped up to plus 165. Is currently up at plus 204. Cop opened at minus 160, dropped to minus 190. Is currently down at minus 255. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight bout. Sergey Morozov, Journey Newsom. 
And um, yeah, not a bad fight. Newsom no, impressed me with how he turned out uh, against Fernie Garcia. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it weren't for that fight, I would pick Morozov unashamedly in a heartbeat. And instead, I'm a little more like, oh, this could be competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Morozov feels like the, he feels more like a high level fighter. Yeah. Mor- Morozov. He, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just, just in that he's, he has this like really aggressive put together game when it's clicking. You, you, he, he looks like a, a future contender sometimes. Yeah. Like he's, he's accurate. He's aggressive. He wrestles. He strikes. Um, maybe this perfect. is going. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say maybe this is going a little too far, but kind of like what if what if what if Demir Magulov had to compete in a division like bantamweight? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean Morozov is not his jab is not nearly no as honed as his Magulovs, but it's otherwise like yeah, you're a pretty decent athlete. You've got a uh, good skill everywhere. He stays in very similarly. He stays incredibly composed in a lot of his fights. Um, really good at finding himself and getting back to his game when things go wrong. But it's just Bantamweight is a division full of dudes who can really make things go wrong for you. Yeah, things always go wrong. I mean, Bantamweight is a division full of uh, Rafael Alves's, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Newsom's that guy, though. No. Frankly. No, I like the game he's building. Yeah, he came out with a bunch of kicks. That was fun. Before he had some showed some pop in his hands. He's got, you know, some takedowns and some jujitsu he can go to as well. But he's not durable. Yeah. And everything he does seems like he's kind of trying it on for, you know, he like he's like he's he's making dramatic shifts in his game to try to like every time something doesn't work, it's like, oh well, I better change things up now. You know, and then you see like a whole new version of him. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe he really did find something he'll stick with long term when he had to take a couple of years off between that loss to Randy Costa Mm -hmm. and that comeback win over Fernie Garcia. And maybe, you know, long range kicker will be Journey Newsom's new bag. But I think even that would find a lot of trouble with Morozov's game. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I just think Morozov is, given that kind of, <clears throat> given that kind of opponent, he's like, oh, I'm going to be the aggressive one. Great. Yeah, he I'll come forward and wrestle you. Yeah, I'll you know get inside and land combinations in the pocket. Yep, and... he's a he's a perfectly powerful puncher. He's not the biggest yep. hitter in the division. It's bantamweight, but he's good enough to hang with punchers at bantamweight. And Newson, um has added some depth to his striking at range, but even in that fight with Garcia, there are still moments when Garcia would just crash in and he's like scrambling to defend himself and putting himself out of position. He's not comfortable in protracted exchanges. Yeah. And um, I don't know that Morozov loves protracted exchanges, but he has like more options to, to go to. He's got more pieces to connect in a longer exchange. Yeah. He only has to throw three punches getting inside. One has to land 
and then he can do something else that isn't trading punches. Yep. Get it on a takedown, grab a clinch, land some knees. If he has a wrestling wrestling advantage, which I assume he will here, he will press it. He is very good about punching his way into a takedown and then riding that takedown. You know? Yep. Yeah, and I think he might just like block a kick and chase Journey Newsom yeah. immediately and knock him out too. That very yeah. likely may happen. Morozov is the favorite here. Open at minus two hundred, dropped minus two fifty, currently down at minus two eighty five. Newsom opened at plus one seventy, jumped up to plus two ten, currently up at plus two twenty nine. All right, that wraps us up. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over bloodyelbow dot com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts over on Bloody Open Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. And we will be back in one month's time. Can you believe it? January 14th for UFC Fight Night, Gaston versus Imavov. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you then. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Level Change Podcast, The MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.